Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So happy you could join us this week. It's just me and my buddy Paul Burmeister from NBC Sports. We're going to take a deeper dive into my listing uh, of the teams, 1 to 32. Some people call them power rankings. I just call them a tremendous waste of time. Uh, but I'm very, very glad that you uh, you could join me. Uh, and I and I look, I'm not trying to kill myself here or anything, but it's just I, I, I poke fun at myself here. But, uh, you know, everybody makes these lists and, you know, Twitter gets angry for a couple of days and and then you play the games and nobody remembers. So anyway, Paul, thanks a lot for, for joining me. How are you? Uh, of course, uh, doing great, Peter. It's always good to see you here to start the week off. And to me, it's just a fun exercise for the third or fourth week in May. And as I was reading, I'm thinking, and I, I asked Chris Sims same type of question before we get going on his list. You compare putting this together, Peter, your your power rankings compared to like a mock draft a month ago. How do you compare those exercises? Well, the mock draft actually takes work, you know, because – Unless you want to embarrass yourself, you've got to call a lot of people. Um, I actually only ran my list by one person uh, in the NFL, and it was really interesting. I ran my list by, and I, I had the Bears a little lower. Uh, I forget where I had them, but I had them somewhere right around 20 or 21, something like that. And after I ran through my list, this guy's a GM. He goes, uh, the Bears are going to be a lot better than that. And I started thinking about it. And I had been down on him again because of the quarterback situation. But And we'll get into this in a little bit. I've been down on him because of the quarterback situation. But because I don't know what to expect. And then I just started thinking, well, it's not going to be any worse than it was <laughs> And they made the playoffs last year. So, so anyway, I ended up putting them up uh, a few a few slots, and rightfully so. But, but anyway, Paul, before we get started, I want to ask you one question about a current event in football right now, and that is the NFLPA is asking players, uh, is not ordering them not to go to these off-season workouts, but they're saying, hey, look, they're voluntary. Don't go. Don't feel pressured that you have to go if you don't want to go. And I just keep thinking of rookies in this case. And, and how in the world can they not go? And, you know, I don't know how many people listening to this know, but you were a quarterback in the early 90s at Iowa and you signed as an undrafted free agent with the Minnesota Vikings, went to training camp with them in Mankato, Minnesota, uh, ended up getting cut on the weekend before the regular season began. And I would love to know how you feel about, you know, the NFLPA, uh, you know, tacitly encouraging players to not go to these offseason workouts. Completely understand the veterans, the established guys, and what they're trying to establish now moving forward compared to what it has been with their with their off-season commitments and where, where they have to be. And I understand that, but I never made it to that level. My only connection with an NFL roster is one of the guys fighting to be there. Um, whether I was the 70th guy camp, the 80th, the 90th, I was one of the bottom guys. And to hear about veterans telling rookies not to report to the facility in the off-season, 
to try and better their position come training camp, it seems almost impossible for those guys. Well, it also seems to make sense for the veterans. And keep this in mind too, Peter, uh, times have changed. And when you get to the NFL, the money changes everything, the business and the, and the pressure change everything. But these are still athletes that grew up in the locker room. And the number one thing to them is respect and acceptance of veterans. So while they know they need to be there, especially the mid to late round picks and free agents, to get better in the offseason, to put themselves in a spot to succeed in training camp, they also want those veterans on the team to accept them and like them and respect them. They want to follow their lead. So what are they supposed to do when those guys are saying, don't be there, and they want their respect, yet they know a lot of these guys, their only chance to make the team in September is to really kick ass in the summer and impress the coaches then. Yes, yeah, so it would be hard for you to hard to next to impossible in May and June if there are workouts being uh, if there are workouts taking place. It would be very hard for you to not take part in them uh, as a rookie free agent. It would have been impossible for me, and it was it was twenty six years ago. But my particular scenario, Peter, uh, the starting quarterback in Minnesota was Warren Moon. He was doing NBA playoffs on the on the sidelines for TNT. He was never there. Brad Johnson was in NFL Europe, and the quarterback they drafted, Chad May, wasn't there most of the time. So I met Brian Billick at the facility every morning at 7 a.m. to run through the offense, uh, to learn for two or three hours, uh, selfishly for me. So I knew more come training camp time. And for him, I was the only quarterback there. If I wasn't there, if I didn't know what to do, he didn't have an off-season program. He didn't have footballs thrown to Jake Reed or Chris Carter or Robert Smith. So um, I think that's one of a million tiny little examples. I think they, they come up every single year to tell a late round pick or a free agent he can't be there is virtually impossible. So uh, that, that just it all fascinates me. Um, someday, somewhere when we see each other in person, we're going to have a beer and you're going to tell me about something. Tell, you're going to tell me stories about throwing footballs to Chris Carter. It would be uh, fun to hear because I just keep thinking to myself, as you just said that, you know, one day you'll be able to tell your grandchildren, yeah, I threw footballs to a Hall of Famer for three months. So, but anyway, we'll leave that right. for another day and I appreciate it. Um, let's let's take a few minutes. And what what Paul and I decided to do, this is his suggestion and I like it. What Paul and I decided to do was to, uh, take a minute or so on every team, one to 32, why they're in that spot and why uh, some teams are high, some teams are low and blah, blah, blah. So why don't we just get going, Paul? And I will start uh, with number one in Kansas City. And I, as I said in my column, I really don't like picking the teams that made it last year. I hate going and I open up Kansas City 1 Tampa Bay 2. I hate doing that but but my issue was that if you look at the Kansas City Chiefs what prevented them from winning the Super Bowl last year? A horrible offensive line performance. Maybe uh certainly one of the worst in Super Bowl history uh with Patrick Mahomes sacked or pressured 29 times. And so I they have bought a totally new offensive line this year, either bought or traded for a totally new offensive line. In my opinion, that is enough to get them to number one. 
And my biggest question here when I was looking at number one with the Chiefs, and it ties into number two if you want to walk right into the Buccaneers, I would have thought the Bucs, with everybody they had back, would start out at number one. How difficult was it to have KC1 in Tampa Bay, too? I, it's a coin flip, but I just keep thinking to myself, and I wrote this a month or so ago, that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they've since added, uh, you know, added a, a solid – uh, uh, defensive end from Washington in the draft. But I, I, I said this, that the top 35 guys on their team, players, management, coaches, are all back. That's never happened in the Super Bowl era. I doubt I, – I wonder whether it's ever happened with any team in NFL history. I, the top 35 people, the, the head coach and three coordinators, the general manager, are all they're all back. 22 starters are back. The specialists are back. And according to playing time, how add up the next X number of, of players there, and they're all back this year. And so to me, I think that that is uh, – that's hard to beat. But we also don't really know what that means. It's wonderful to have that. But part of me says – I think sometimes it's good to get somebody who hasn't been there before, you know, who may not have the laissez-faire attitude in practice and who may be saying, man, I got to prove my, my worth and, and, and get up to speed. And look, uh, originally I was going to say, well, you know, 44 year old quarterback, but the more I thought about it, cause he turned Tom Brady turns 44 uh, this year in uh, uh, August I, and then I said, well, I've been, everybody has basically been waiting for Tom Brady to fall off a cliff and he hasn't. And I'm not, especially in the wake of Phil Mickelson winning the PGA at 50. I, I mean, I'm tired of waiting for Tom Brady to collapse. I'll believe it when I see it. And I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think it's the right way to go with the Tom Brady. I mean, it's uh We've all tried to outsmart ourselves predicting when it would end. And as you said, you'll believe it when you see it. And before we move on, I just want to revisit that one more time because I think you've been doing this uh, three decades or so, and you could do it three more decades, Peter. I don't think you will ever get to say that 35 of the most important pieces of a Super Bowl winning team are back with the free agency, the salary cap, and with how these coordinators get picked off to be head coaches. We'll see where it goes and what it means for this season. Uh, but that's beyond rare. I think it's unprecedented, and the only time we'll ever get to say it. I, I look. I don't. I've been covering the NFL 37 years. I would bet that it has never happened that the top 35 people in a franchise have returned from one year to the next. Who? I mean, I, I, it probably has. I, I suppose it has, but. Especially today, I think it's preposterous. So uh, credit to uh, Jason Light right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's the general manager of the Buccaneers. has been terrific. So no real surprises with one and two in whatever order. Chiefs, Buccaneers, KC, Tampa Bay is how you had them. The real surprises come in next, Peter. And what made this read really fun for me is seeing some teams this high that, hey, two years ago, being in the teams – would have been a nice step up for these teams. So uh, let's kick it off with your third-ranked team in terms of these surprises, the Buffalo Bills all the way up at three. 
I the reason why I like Buffalo a lot is that as much as they have been, they have become a powerhouse offensive team. Uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are really going to work hard on their defense. And look, they could be higher than three if they have found a diamond with their first round pick, Gregory Russo, the pass rusher from Miami. Now, a lot of people steered clear of Russo because he has one year of his life as a big time pass rusher. And that is at Miami in 2019, 15 and a half sacks. Uh, last year he opted out. He's a very young guy. And so he needs to really hit the ground running. And that is vitally important for them. If he does, the Bills absolutely, in my opinion, can and will challenge Kansas City for AFC supremacy. I think it's smart you focus on defense there because my last image of the Bills, that playoff game when Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, and Hill really kind of did whatever they wanted to in that playoff win in KC. Bring us to number four, Peter, and here's where my mind went here. I, I wonder if you did this exercise back in the mid-'80s when Bernie Kosar was in Cleveland, if he would have had the Browns as the best team in their division and also as number four overall. It's been a long time. I mean, it has been a very long time. You're right. It has been probably about 30 years since you could logically pick Cleveland to win a great division. And this is still a very good division. Uh, but I like Cleveland because, you know, as I say in, in, my, in my column, I, I don't remember the last time I looked at the Browns and, say, and said, where are the holes? I mean, the only thing that even though they picked Greg Newsome, the corner from Northwestern, even as they picked him number one overall, you know, he missed whatever, 13, 15 games in college over a three-year period due to injury. And so I'm not sure that he's going to be a rock-solid answer for them. But I guess what I'm saying is that I really like what else they were able to do this offseason. Um, I, I mean, look, you've seen them uh, the last couple of years, Paul, but I love Jeremiah Ousu Koromoa. And I think that was a fantastic – that's a gift in the second round. It just is. Um, and I could see him developing, maybe not this year, but soon, into the type of sideline-to-sideline -side presence that he was at, at Notre Dame. The big thing for the Browns, again, look, I think I like Baker Mayfield. I just don't love him yet. Um, he's got to be a little bit more accurate. Uh, and and to me, not only a little bit more accurate, but he's just got to be – he was consistent toward the end of last year. He's got to bring that into this season. You mentioned toward the end of last year, and you touched on it in your article as well. But remember that game against Pittsburgh? They lost 38-7 to where he was so poor and the whole team was. After that game, they only lost three times in the regular season, and he threw only two interceptions. Um, so he's off to a, a good start of some consistency. With, he was turning the ball over so much there in his career. In San Francisco at number five, Peter. Uh, what I like about this is that there are so many teams in your top ten that had double-digit wins last year. You're taking a bold step here to line up a team at five that only won six times a year ago. Because it's a very simple reason. 
they won six games last year strictly because of injury. This would not have been a six-win team uh, if the quarterback didn't get hurt and if Bosa didn't get hurt and if Richard Sherman didn't get hurt. Now, you could say that about every team. Oh, if this guy doesn't get hurt. Look, their best defensive play, well, Fred Warner turned into their best defensive player. But at the start of the year, their two most important pieces were Richard Sherman, uh, you know, were Sherman and Bosa. And Garoppolo was their most important piece, even though I don't think he is a great quarterback. You you could least afford to lose him. And they lost them all. So I view this very simply as a logical step building on 2019. That's why I put the 49ers so high. To say, you know, to put them at number five means that I think they have a real chance to, to get back to a Super Bowl and to win a Super Bowl. And I do. I think they've got a very good chance this year. I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but that would mean you you probably think that Jimmy G will be the quarterback this season. We'll see what I happens think he, after that. Yeah, I think he he's going to start the season at, at quarterback, barring a major surprise. Uh, you know, they don't pay quarterbacks $25 million to back up a rookie from North Dakota State uh, who started whatever he started Fifteen games in his in his life. So Jimmy Garoppolo is playing unless either he's terrible or he's injured. We stay in the NFC West, Peter. I look at number six and the Rams. I, I think you have them there for one of two things. It's either you really, really believe in what Matthew Stafford can do to elevate this team, or you love this defense that may be the best in the league. I use an example in what I wrote that. In 2017 and 18, you know, they had really explosive play at the wide receiver position. And that has basically gone flat. The balloon has burst. But in 2018, the Rams wideouts, top three wideouts per catch were 14.2, 15.1, and 14.2 yards per catch. Last year, they were 10.4, 10.6, and 11.9. This is a team that has lost the deep area of the field. Sean McVay couldn't stand it anymore. And he went out and paid a ransom for Matthew Stafford. And I think it is exactly the right player at the right time. Troy Aikman told Sam Farmer that uh, uh, he thought that uh, uh, Stafford could be the MVP this year. And I, I agree. I'm not saying I'm going to pick them, but I thought that was a very prescient and wise statement. It's one of the, I think, most, um, I'm anticipating it the most as one of the subplots in the NFL this season where we almost gave Matthew Stafford a pass in Detroit. Oh, he's super talented. He's fun to watch, but the team isn't very good. It's kind of put up or shut up time, not for the Rams only, but also for him now that he's going to be with an excellent scheme on a much better team. Here's the here's the deal with, uh, you know, with Stafford and look, uh, you know, you can say whatever you want. Uh, he's the best quarterback in a bad team, whatever. But I you've got to put some of the blame for 12 years being the number one pick in the draft. And you played for the franchise for 12 years, never won a playoff game, never won the division. I mean, you know, that is in part a failure on Matthew Stafford 
and he's got to address that this year. Bringing us to the Ravens at seven, and it's a compliment to Eric DaCosta and also John Harbaugh. You can almost pencil them in for double-digit wins, Peter, but whether they're going to be a 10-7 team or 14-3 and type team doesn't depend on Lamar Jackson being good, because he'll be good, but how excellent can he be? Can he get to that next level in the passing game? Maybe the defining part of that team. I just think this year in Baltimore, they're close every year, aren't they? I mean, yeah. every year on January 1st, you can turn the calendar and say, well, you know, the Ravens could win it this year. Yep. But, but I think what has really failed them is the ability to produce explosive plays in the playoffs. And so what do they do? They use their first and fourth round picks this year on Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace. And, and look, I, I happen to think the best receiver on their team, even though they got Sammy Watkins, he, we know Sammy Watkins. They'll be lucky to get eight or nine games out of him. But I think the best receiver in that room this year is going to be Devin DuVernay. But I do like the fact that Rashad Bateman is going to a place where there is a need for an explosive wide receiver. He could be that. Now, look, Hollywood Brown is always going to be your Tyreek Hill-type deep threat. But they need a more complete receiver downfield. They view that as Rashad Bateman. I'll just put – I'll put 20 cents on uh, – by the end of this year, we're going to be looking at Devin DuVernay as their best wide receiver. Green Bay Packers at eight, Peter, likely the most difficult evaluation for you, for all of us, uh, with the unknown about Aaron Rodgers. How did you begin to, to kind of peel back the onion here to place them at number eight? You know, I've been a little disappointed in the postseason Packers in the last two years. They really didn't play well against San Francisco two years ago, twice in an eight-week span down in Santa Clara, once in the regular season and then once in the playoffs. And then last year, they spit the bid against Tampa at home uh, in the championship game. And look, for all those who totally absolve Aaron Rodgers of blame for them going for the field goal late in that game, I don't. You know, he went incomplete, incomplete, incomplete on first, second, and third downs um, and, you know, on that last drive. So, but be that as it may. I have no idea if Aaron Rodgers is playing for this team. My gut feeling is he will, but I just, I truly don't know. I have no insight. I have no inside information. Uh, I, I know that as of now, uh, he does not want to go back. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, probably if he wasn't there, they'd be around 16, uh, maybe a little bit lower, but uh, I just don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what impact that's going to have on the team either. So we'll see. I, I do know this. If Jordan Love is the starting quarterback on this team, uh, they're not going to be the eighth-best team in football. That's for darn sure. Or even if it's Blake Bortles, I mean, I think it's realistic to think they could be somewhere in the 20s. Could be. Uh, because, look, they they probably, in that case, probably would be below – Minnesota and Chicago in that division, if Blake Bortles plays, in my opinion. And uh, so we'll just see. And don't remember, too, or don't forget, too, but, you know, no Corey Lindsley this year. That is a big loss 
because he was the glue to that offensive line. So, you know, in back-to-back years, they've lost uh, Brian Bulaga and Corey Lindsley, both of whom now they make now make up 40% of the Los Angeles Chargers offensive line. Los Angeles Chargers, keep that team in mind. We'll be speaking about them in the very near future here on your list. Before we get to them, at number nine, the Colts. And I kind of compare this to the Rams with the whole quarterback switch of, of those QBs that went one and two with Goff and Wentz a few years ago. But with the Rams, as we just talked about at six, Peter, it feels like you clearly think that Stafford will make them a better team. And with Indianapolis, they were 11 and five last year at nine this year. That's good. But going from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz kind of keeps them at the same level. I mean, I can't. I don't really have a great feel right now for how Carson Wentz is going to play. I think he will be at least as good as Phillip Rivers. Now, remember, Phillip Rivers had some stumbles in the first six weeks of last season. He played very well down the stretch, but uh, he wasn't great the whole year. I don't really know about Wentz. Uh, I, I, I know that the head coach loves him, supports him, and is very happy to have him. Frank Reich, in some ways, has staked his Indianapolis coaching tenure on Carson Wentz. And he knows it, and he's happy to do it. And I would have done the exact same thing if I were him, because what's your alternative? Jacoby Brissett and, you know, who? Trying to trade up in the first round to get one of these quarterbacks. So that, to me, it's pretty clear right now that the Colts are going to go as far as Carson Wentz will take them. And I did not lie, Peter, when I said the Chargers were going to show up here real soon. Uh, a team with Justin Herbert leading the way, I think most would say it's an exciting team with a lot of potential. You take it a step further, they're the final team here in your top 10. See, the reason that, in my opinion, the Chargers are really close uh, is not only because they have Justin Herbert. I think they have radically improved a fairly weak offensive line. Um, with Rashawn Slater and Corey Lindsley going to be center now, and Matt Filer, underrated guy coming over from the Steelers. To me, I think that's three valuable pieces to their offensive front. And now we're going to see, can the Chargers basically become Saints West? Joe Lombardi is the new offensive coordinator, comes over from the Saints. Uh, he has full, total control of that offensive scheme. Um, you know, Brandon Staley, the new head coach, has given him the reins. And to me, I really like the fact that they are going to try to play Saints football because once you master this offense, there are so many solutions for a quarterback. I think Justin Herbert's going to love it. And and he's also got Chase Daniel, who was uh, back up to uh, Drew Brees for four years. Uh, it, it, you know, as the voice in his ears. So I really like the Chargers. You think about the moment when we found out that the Chargers fired Anthony Lynn and your mind went to Justin Herbert and you thought of, boy, what would be best case scenario for his future to bring in somebody like Joe Lombardi with all those years learning under Sean Payton as a play caller, learning with and from Drew Brees and bringing in the backup, like you mentioned, Chase Daniel. Uh, this is about best case scenario for Justin Herbert moving forward. I really like it. And I think he's going to be great again. 
And it's so funny, the, you know, 10 is Chargers, 11 is Miami. Miami's the team that passed on the quarterback that number 10 has. And now Miami at 11 is depending on Tua Tagovailoa, the guy who they picked at five just ahead of Justin Herbert. And look, no excuses for Tua this year. And again, it's a different time, a different era in football. This is only Tagovailoa's second year in the NFL. But it's almost like, Paul, you know, for a quarterback, a, a, a guy who entered the year playing a lot in year one, the second year for a quarterback today in the NFL has almost become like what year three used to be. And, it, you know, so to me, I'm not sure that the that Miami is going to get rid of Tua if he has a C-minus season. But there's pressure on Tua to produce right now this year. Absolutely. And two thoughts came to mind, Peter, when I saw Miami at 11. And I, I normally try and get away from, like, my automatic view of any kind of ranking or a team or record is through the quarterback lens. And I try to step away from that as much as I can. But I can't ignore this one. There's as much pressure on Tua as any quarterback in the NFL, I believe. And what accelerates what you mentioned, uh, you're talking about the pressure on him, is that Herbert played so well. Burrow was off to such a good start that his comps did so much better than he did last year. And his team is also built to win probably more than the Chargers and the Bengals are this year. So I, I think that's my number one and also my number two thought. More pressure on this QB than anybody else in the league. Yeah, Stafford, Wentz, and Tua, in some order, to me, have the most pressure on them in the NFL. Seattle at number 12, Peter. And to me, they're kind of like the Baltimore version in the NFC. Like, okay, you plan on them being there in January. The question is, is this a Super Bowl team or not? What I like about the the Seahawks is they found a way to re-sign Chris Carson. I thought he was going to be gone. Um, maybe people don't appreciate what Chris Carson has meant to this offense, but to me, they are very comparable to the Baltimore Ravens in this way. Everybody thinks of the, the, the Ravens and they think of Lamar Jackson on offense. Well, it's the running game that has made them go in recent years. And everybody thinks of Russell Wilson with the Seahawks last three years. 4.8 yards a carry, 4.6 yards a carry, 4.8 yards a carry. Even with a suspect offensive line all three years, this team has run the ball great. And so to me, I think everybody's going to look at Russell Wilson, but and, and they need to be a little bit more explosive. That's why, look, they only had one pick in the top 130 picks, and they made it a blurry speed wideout. Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. That to me was the right choice at this point in time for this team because they've already got a great one-two punch, Lockett and Metcalf. Um, And I think they need one more piece to really threaten the defense deep. I think Seattle's going to be good. Lots of interest in New Orleans, Peter. No Drew Brees. And for the first time since 2006, Sean Payton, First time as a head coach, has that title without Drew Brees. Let's see how he does without him. You have him at 13. You know, Drew Brees and Sean Payton both got there 
uh, within weeks of each other in 2006. The city was torn asunder by Katrina. Uh, to be honest, I think both guys would say that if Sean Payton got the offer in, uh, in Green Bay, he was going to Green Bay. If Drew Brees had got a rich offer from the Dolphins, he was going to Miami. But this was, they were the bridesmaid picks in New Orleans, and they turn out to be one of the best coach-quarterback combinations of all time. I can tell you from talking to Peyton this offseason, he's really excited about basically not necessarily proving himself, but proving that they can win with a different quarterback. It'll probably be Jameis Winston over Taysom Hill, but if Winston struggles at all, he will go with Taysom Hill, no matter what the, 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 the critics say that, that Taysom Hill cannot be an every-down quarterback. He, I think they're going to win with one of them. Arizona Cardinals uh, at number 14, Peter, a lot of investments, uh, big-name investments on defense, free agent in the draft, and a lot of excitement with Kyler Murray. But still, at 14, for you, it all adds up to a middle-of-the-pack 500 kind of team. You know, I just – I look, I like the Cardinals. And I think the Cardinals could win 10 games, maybe 11, in a very, very tough division. But I'm not real crazy about their offseason. I like Rodney Hudson, but, you know, they signed four guys. You know, J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, traded for Rodney Hudson, signed Malcolm Butler. Um, and A.J. Green and Malcolm Butler were castoffs by their teams. J.J. Watt, Houston wanted to keep, but why? Uh, average age of those four guys is over 32 years old. That's not NFL primetime. And so, look, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I just don't think that, oh, my God, all these signings put the Cardinals over the top. I just don't see it. Happy to see that you have the Washington football team in the top half of your rankings at 15, Peter, because I thought because of the NFC East was so poor last year and they didn't win a playoff game, lost to the Buccaneers, but I thought they were better than people gave them credit for. They Me too. quarterback in a defense that was terrific. They kept it together. They go five and two down the stretch, and their defense was one of the three best defenses in football down the stretch. They only allowed 15 points a game uh, in their last seven games, uh, and they won four road games against Dallas, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Philly. Now, you can say San Francisco and Philly weren't that good, but you know they shut down Dallas. Uh, they knocked Pittsburgh from the ranks of the unbeaten. I, I just... Every game that I saw them down the stretch, I said, man, this team's going to be a tough out. And they played the Bucs competitively with some guy named Heineke at quarterback in the playoffs. And so I think that, uh, look, they've got a really tough opening to their season. Uh, But to me, I, I, I think they're the class of the NFC East. You opened up the door to curiosity with the Bears uh, top of the podcast, Peter, when you mentioned you had him in the 20s, talked to a GM and bumped him up. So here they are at 16, officially the last team in the top half of the league. Uh, tell us a little more about what made you move them from lower than this up to 16. Look, I think there's no question they're going to get better play at quarterback than they've had. But the big question is, obviously, when is Justin Fields going to play? 
And I think Matt Nagy is going to be very, very judicious with this because he knows he has a quarterback who will open the season as a competent, good NFL quarterback. He's not a star, but Andy Dalton has been a good quarterback in his career. He does, He's not forced to play uh, Justin Fields early. But to me, I, I'm a little worried about their defense. I love Kyle Fuller. I think that's a big loss in the secondary. I, I think right now they are on the doorstep ready to pounce if Aaron Rodgers doesn't go back to Green Bay. Patriots at 17, Peter. After all of that, uh, all of the free agents uh, investing on both sides of the ball, still a team that's um, middle of the pack at best. I just have no idea what to expect at the quarterback position. And and as I said, look, other than Green Bay, there is no team in football that has more questions as we talk right now this week than the Patriots. I mean, I have absolutely no idea if Cam Newton is any good. He certainly wasn't very good last year. And now Mike Reese of ESPN Boston wrote that uh, he's going to a, a mechanics coach this offseason uh, to try to get better with his throwing motion and his technique. Maybe that'll do something. I don't know. Um, but again, there's just so many question marks around this team. I could see him being second in this division to Buffalo. I could see them giving Buffalo two really good, tough games. I can't see him beating Buffalo, but I could see him beating uh, Miami. I just think there's a lot to be concerned about in New England. This turn here at 18 and 19 continues with AFC teams that uh, many expect, based off their brand, to be in the top half of the league. But you have a couple more here that were good a year ago that you're a little skeptical about right now. Let's begin with Tennessee at 18. Look, Tennessee and Pittsburgh, 18 and 19. I, you know, look, the, the Titans weren't nearly as good on defense after they lost Dean Pease a year ago to retirement. He's now obviously come out of retirement as – Atlanta's uh, defensive coordinator. But beyond that, now this year they lose Arthur Smith. A lot of questions around the league in what will the loss of Arthur Smith mean to uh, Ryan Tannehill and how they play. Um, so they may answer those questions all positively. They, they really might. But I think Tennessee and Pittsburgh are really – I have the same sort of questions – about them. Not necessarily uh, that I don't think that they can be good, but I just think based on what we saw, especially last year, as we go to Pittsburgh at 19, you know, as I, as I wrote, I cannot unsee the end of the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hmm. You know, they finish one and four in the regular season and they turn the ball over four times in the first 20 minutes and fall behind 28, nothing to Cleveland in the playoffs. And you can say, well, okay, it's one game. And then they lose three-fifths of their offensive line. And it was a bad offensive line. So, hey, maybe maybe it's, it's, it's a net gain. But I just really can't see, especially because they played an easy schedule last year, I just can't see how Pittsburgh uh, – I, I, I think they're the third best team in the division this year. When Giants fans think about their offense last year, Peter, and what they didn't have that they're going to have this year, I'm thinking about Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, a wide receiver, Kadarius Toney, 
They probably think that with some Daniel Jones development, they'll be better than the 20th team in the NFL. But that's that's right where you have them. No question about it. I think that uh, when I look at the Giants, I kind of look at them as a team that is kind of going for broke right now. They did that once in recent history in 2016. Uh, they bought a defense in essence. That was the year they bought Jenkins, Vernon, and Snacks Harrison, and they made the playoffs. And this is what they're trying to do this year with going out and getting a Dory Jackson and Kenny Galladay. Um, I, I think that basically this is John Mara saying to his fan base, we hear you, we know how frustrated you are. And it's also Dave Gettleman saying to, to Joe Judge uh, and to the entire offense, Daniel Jones specifically, you know, we've done everything we can for you. I think the, the, the secret sauce for the Giants is adding Kyle Rudolph. Um, I think whereas probably the mo most mistake-prone tight end with the most drops in football last year, Evan Ingram, that's not going to be the case with Kyle Rudolph when they line up in, in either Rudolph alone or in two tight end sets. Let's stay in the NFC East, Peter. What's your headline with the Cowboys there at 21? You know, the Cowboys, they got the best player in the division, but I just don't know how good they're going to be on defense. Really, their most important player this year is their defensive coordinator. Can they get under Dan Quinn a defense to play not just a little better, but significantly better? You cannot count on the offense, especially with a very rickety, in my opinion, offensive line you can't count on an offense to carry you the way that they've counted on uh their their uh, uh, offense in recent years i just think there are too many holes in that line for them to say we're going to score 31 every week i see your team ranked at 22 peter the atlanta falcons uh, as a squad that'll be fun to watch score a lot of points but ultimately lose more games than they win how about you I mean, look, the big story here is going to be what they do with Julio Jones. Obviously, Jones uh, saying this week that he's requested a trade. Uh, look, I've known since before the draft that they want to trade Julio Jones. It'll help them a lot on the cap over the next three years. So they want to trade Julio Jones. They probably will. There's enough on, on offense to win. I just don't think that they have a defense that scares anybody. So I think they're going to be in the top five in the NFL in scoring with or without Julio. Uh, I don't think they're going to be in the top 15 in defense uh, under any circumstances. Thinking about defenses struggling here, I go to the Raiders at 23. Peter, I could see them being better than that if their defense is improved from a year ago. If it's the same thing we saw last season, I could see them being even worse than 23. Look, you know, since Mike Mayock got there, they've drafted Cleveland Furl, Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, Jonathan Abram, uh, you know, on defense, very high. And they just have not produced. None of the four have produced at the level that they were drafted to, to be. And so to me, when I look at the Raiders, this is not just a referendum on how well they play. I mean, I think Trevor Morig, the safety drafted 43rd overall, has got to come in this year and play really well on an underachieving secondary. I just, I have major questions about this defense. 
it's really something when we think about Mike Zimmer and the way that the Vikings have played on that side of the ball defensively, that it's, it is the defense more than the offense that has them rated as low as 24. I think so. And although they're getting a bunch of people back this year uh, on defense, they get Dalvin Tomlinson. I think the real uh, underrated acquisition in free agency. I love Tomlinson. You know, I think he's a classic space eater in the interior of a defensive line. So I like I, I like that part of their offseason. But I'll tell you, they I think that they're going to struggle in the secondary. Um, Patrick Peterson is not what he was. We'll see if he can regain that form. But look, they're like everybody else in that division. They're waiting to see what the Packers do. And if the Packers don't get Aaron Rodgers back, who knows? In Denver at 25, Peter, can you give Broncos fans uh, some real reason to believe this year and, and mm -hmm. NFL fans some reason for excitement around that franchise? In, in my opinion, uh, Paul, I think that adding Kyle Fuller is a huge plus. But the real big thing on this defense this year is, are we finally going to get to see what was you know, designed like three years ago, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller to play a complete season? which they've been unable to do together uh, because of injury uh, since Chubb was drafted. So that is my hope that finally you'll get to see these guys. But I just, I got too many questions about the quarterback position. Um, look, Carolina didn't hang on to Teddy Bridgewater because they didn't think he threw a very good deep ball. That was part of the reason. And he'll definitely have a chance. Look, when, you know, when you've got the, the threats that Denver has downfield, uh, you know, especially with Jerry Judy, uh, you're going to have that chance. But uh, I'm, I'm dubious about their, their offensive production. The Teddy Bridgewater Broncos and, and Panthers connection continues here as you have Carolina all the way down to 26. Uh, this is a mystery team to me, too, because, look, if Sam Darnold plays well, they could be 500 or a game or two above. But you got to see it first. That's my biggest question. You know, will Sam Darnold be able in the eyes of the owner, really the owner, you know, is a very, very aggressive guy, David Tepper. Can Sam Darnold do enough to hold off um, them going after a quarterback in 2022? Uh, or if, you know, you never know if, if Deshaun Watson has moved in 2021. Peter, I fell in love with the NBA in the early 1980s because of the Julius Irving 76ers. About the same time, I also fell in love with the NFL because of the Dan Fouts-led San Diego Chargers. I, I perked up and smiled when you made some comparisons to what Joe Burrow might have around him or will have around him this year with what Dan Fouts had way back when in San Diego. As I write in my thing, and I quote, I'm going to quote myself, mark my words, the Bengals will upset a couple of teams. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, maybe the Raiders, and look impressive doing it. And I say that because I think that Joe Burrow, assuming he comes back healthy from a major knee injury, I think with this receiving core, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, rather, T. Higgins, I think they've got a chance to have three or four 400-yard games passing this year. Now, their defense is, is from hunger, but they've got a really good chance to be one of the great, fun offenses. They're going to win a couple of games 
41 to 37 this year. They're going to be a great watch. They're not going to be a great team. Can't wait to check them out on Sundays. 28 Philadelphia Eagles, four wins last year, Peter, and you offer up the three words Eagles fans do not want to hear. Classic rebuilding year. <laughs> well, I that's what they're doing. They, they got three. Reality, uh, yeah. Assuming that Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps in Indy, they've got three right. first-round picks next year. So what that means is that, hey, Jalen Hurts, this is your blank canvas. It's your time. But you better be good this year because it's going to be the only time you've got to prove yourself. If Jalen Hurts is to Philly in 2021, what Dak Prescott was to the Cowboys in 19, and I use those two means of comparison because Dak Prescott, fourth-round pick, not ever picked to be the franchise quarterback, but the fourth-round pick in 2016, that's the same thing as Jalen Hurts, the second-round pick, never picked to be the franchise quarterback. Um, and, 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 you know, he's got his chance. So we'll see. Second time I've heard the Dak Prescott comp in two days. Chris Sims said Kellen Mond in Minnesota. He thinks he'll be the Dak Prescott of this year's draft class for what it's worth. Jacksonville at 29, Peter, uh, I'm surmising here, but Urban Meyer plus Trevor Lawrence for you equals not quite yet. Look, this is one of these things that Urban Meyer, when he got hired, he knew that he was going to lose some games. In 17 years of college coach, he never had a losing season. Was never worse than three games over 500. Well, I mean, you know, there's that. And there's also the fact that there's a good chance in his first month that Trevor Lawrence is going to lose more games than he lost in his entire college career, which is two. But this is a year of getting used to NFL reality for both those guys. They'll be better for it in the future. Lions at 30, Peter, and I can see Dan Campbell being entertaining uh, during the week and after games. I'm looking for something else that might be entertaining about the Lions this year. You gotta, you gotta hope that Jared Goff is going to be really good. I personally, I'm dubious about Goff, uh, but he's going to have every chance because I don't think he's only going to get one year. I think they're going to give him two years of a chance, uh, you know, to rebuild and resuscitate his career. Anthony Lynn has always been known as a guy who will be a rock ribbed running, uh, have a rock ribbed running attack and build off that. And I honestly think that will help. Look at how good uh, Jared Goff was when he had Todd Gurley in his prime. He hasn't had yeah. a great running game in the last couple of years, and he is he hasn't been the same quarterback. So that's what they're gambling on in Detroit, and that's what they need to happen. A good running game with DeAndre Swift. Uh, mo mainly DeAndre Swift. Um, and if that happens, Detroit will be better than 30th overall. What I found most intriguing about the Jets at 31, Peter, and what you wrote about them, your first, first sentence, you said they need to go out and get Nick Foles now. It's logical. The Bears don't want Nick Foles on the roster. They could dump him after June 1 and only have a $2.67 million cap hit in 21 and 22. That's Nirvana right now for the Chicago Bears. And the New York Jets, to me, they absolutely need Nick Foles. They need a backup who's smart and who's unselfish to help Zach Wilson. I like Zach Wilson. 
I don't like them without a good, uh, smart NFL backup right now, and they don't have one. Safe to say that it was easier to put Houston at 32 than it was to pick either Kansas City or Tampa Bay for number one? Houston's an expansion team. I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to play for them this year. I don't think Deshaun Watson will play for them ever. But regardless of that, this is a team that is being built for 2024. Look at their first pick and their only pick high in this draft, Davis Mills, a quarterback. They pick Davis Mills, who has got only 11 games of starting college experience. They picked him to do on-the-job training behind Tyrod Taylor this year. And I just think this is definitely a team that knows that it's time isn't now. Yes, you're right. Very easy pick at number 32. So, Peter, in April, it was the mock drafts. Here in May, we have your uh, power rankings, one through 32. Let's see if you can come up with something for us to kick around in June, some kind of ranking there. Hey, well, I appreciate it, Paul. And thank you so much for joining me both today and for many weeks in the past few weeks. My podcast is so much better because you're on it. Uh, and I'm, I'm highly, highly appreciative for you doing this for me. So thank you. And I want to also thank uh, the listeners for listening and to tell you that this is my last podcast for two months. And we will resume the last week of July when I begin my NFL training camp tour. Uh, but anyway, I hope you don't throw too many tomatoes at me for the 1 to 32 rankings. But I appreciate you listening. And, Paul, thanks so much for making this podcast so much better. Uh, it's fun, Peter. I'm like so many fans who read your article every week. I'm just uh, I'm the guy who gets to come on and uh, talk with you about it. So uh, thanks for the kind words. It's been fun. Okay, listen, thanks to everybody for listening. That's it for the Peter King Podcast. Please come back the last week of July and start listening for another season of the Peter King Podcast. <laughs>